Inescapably foreign. Welcome to Without Borders. I'm your host, Nolan Yuma. If this is your first time tuning into the show, know that this is the podcast for nomads, expats, immigrants, refugees, and anyone else that feels inescapably foreign. Today, I have the honor to be here with uh, Dr. Salvatore Forcina. He's a first-generation immigrant, former surgeon, and author of the forthcoming book, The American Doctor, which comes out on March 14th. Links will be in the description. But before we get all into that and into his story, um, Dr. Forcina, or Sal, do most people call you Sal? Yes. Yeah. All right. Well, Sal, how are, you, how are you doing today? Doing very well. Thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm excited to have you on the show. Uh, so, Sal, before we get into the beginning, uh, where are you right now? Well, I'm in the United States, in Florida, sunny Florida. Okay. Uh, the villages called the villages. It's uh, one hour north of Orlando, and it's... Uh, the population is like 130,000 people. They have like 60 golf courses. And life here is a, like a, being in paradise and being alive. Because usually oh, to go to paradise, you got to die first. <laughs> so you're a fan. You're a fan of Florida. <laughs> yeah, I love Florida, yeah. Oh, okay. I don't like anymore. I don't like corn anymore. <laughs> Understandable. Well, Sal, um, maybe we'll get back into your story in America a little bit later. But now let, let's start from the beginning. Yeah. Uh, so you were born in Italy during World War II. Yeah. And um, I know in the book you describe some of the extreme poverty that you've experienced there. So can you tell us a little bit about how these experiences shaped your life, how they motivated you, and if there are any particular stories that stand out? during this time or from during this time? Well, the first of all, what motivated me was I was a small child and my father used to talk to me and used to explain how difficult life was for them during the war, during the, when the German, after Italy capitulated in World War II, we were in between Rome and Naples, close to Monte Cassino, was the famous battle of Monte Cassino there. Thousands of people died. Many people died. There were bombs all over. So it was really a disaster. So what my father used to tell me when he was a child, he tried to study, but he went to second, third grade all day. And they, they had to go and help the family, go to the mountain with the grades, with the with sheep, the goats. They, they had to you know because the family were numerous people in the family in general, and the resources, they were limited. And they live in base of what they harvest. And sometimes the harvest was good, other times the harvest was not so good. So anyhow, so he used to tell me. And so that's why he, in 1947, he used to be a, a worker, he worked in the ceramic, it's a factory, in Scowry, where my parents used to live, and where the tiles and, and the floor were made with ceramics. And in 1947, this company had been, the ceramic was destroyed because of the bombardment. 
and um, so they moved to Argentina to create, build a new factory. And uh, and this was very good for my father because he was thinking that it uh, was good for us because uh, we could have a future. There was plenty of food there, and it was at the end of the war, and there was not going to be any more war because the tragedy of the World War II in which he lost his brother. And my grandfather was missed for many months. We didn't know. They, they didn't know he was a German prisoner. He had died or whatever. So, you know, there was a lot of anxiety for the family. So my father used to talk to me. And, of course, when we moved to Argentina, eventually he called us in 1948, my brother, me, and my mother, to go to Argentina. And... Um, and there was no easy. It was a very, we were the immigrant there and the, the land that we don't have any support, really. You're on your own. You didn't speak the language. Mm-hmm. You, have, you didn't know your neighbor. The customs were different. And then you just have a hope. And so this was my father used to talk to me about this hope that I didn't understand in the beginning. But as I gradu- gradually, start to grow up, still to uh, start to reasoning about life or whatever, reading, I start to read, I understand, I start to see a little bit of light. And I say, I want to improve. Of course, my father, in a simple way, when I was eight years old when we went to Argentina, he was with a trauma, in some way, he got the post-traumatic syndrome that we are talking today. At that time, there was people that didn't know what it was about. No word for it, but uh, of course it existed. No. I mean, there was, yeah. was a, people just, they said, you have a problem, there's your problem. Nobody got time for you to, to sit down and talk about your problem. No. There was a question of survival. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so that's why he tried to Tell me, and so he had his hands, he showed the hand, they had talus, dealing with the bricks and this and that, was a rough hand, and developed callus. And my father used to say, look at, look at this, this, touch it. This is what you want to do in the future. And she kept repeating that, repeating me. And this working, you know, like you have a, the water and the rock. You have a drop of water, a steady drop, steady drop, with one week, one month, one year, nothing happened. Alone, was, after so many years, that drop of water is going to make a hole in the rock. And this, in some way, was the effect that motivated me to start to study. But, of course, this didn't really happen overnight. This took a long time. And, uh, you know, we can talk about this was a lot of Falling down, getting up, crying in between. That yeah. all the time I had the desire to look up to see the sun behind the mountain. That I couldn't see it. Yeah. Now, just so we get a picture, how old were you when you moved to Argentina? Eight years old. Just Eight 30, years old. Just, I was born in 1941. Uh, so I would be 80, 82 years old when I soon. Yes. Old guy. Okay, so you moved there when you were eight years old. You were there with your mother and your brother, 
And then were you living with your father there as well? Or was he working in a different city? No, no, no. He was in the same city. As a matter of fact, he was just a few blocks away. But uh, I was with my parents until I was 11 years old. And my father was very frustrated with me because I want to study. Uh, I was with the kids. We were in, a, in, in, us, in the outskirts of uh, this town called Azul, A-Z-U-L, in the uh, Buenos Aires province. And the, my father, my parents couldn't afford a house in the city, so it had to be outside renting a house there. And we, we there was no asphalt. The sidewalk, there were no tiles or whatever. Was it a village or like a campo? Sorry, a, a farm? No, no, I was out, outskirts, the, the rural area outside. Okay. Outside. So what happened? We had to. We spent most of the time in the street kicking the ball. We our ball was rigging the socks, the socks, and we put some cloth there or whatever, wrap the best we could, and we make a round something, and we kick yeah. the ball. We kick the ball so low, so much that the sheep. Uh, we stopped kicking the ball with it when the ship became like a sausage. It still be a waffle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was our, our entertainment. And what eventually motivated you to stop kicking the ball and uh, seek an education? Okay. So what happened was that um, close to my parents' house, seven blocks away, there was a small church there. And one time, some priest show up there. And I was, I guess, going around whenever I started to talk with one of the priests, and he started to show me an album with pictures where they have a horse, the kids were playing soccer, they, they were in the in, in pool, whatever, okay? And of course, for me, I was 11 years old, not even 11. So, this was, oh my God, and so they say, would you like to join us? You want to try? I went to my father and I explained that to him. And so my father saw like somebody hit the lottery. So, so of course he encouraged me, whatever, okay. Now, so I went with this priest. This was uh, uh, in the outskirts of Buenos Aires capital. I saw my parents once a year, December for Christmas, one month. I was separated from my parents since I was 11 years old. Uh, if I tell you psychologically the trauma I suffer because you're on your own, 11 years old, you're on your own, the priest was a German priest. Mm. And the main thing, you had to pray nine day and you had to study. And to me, those two things, you know, was very difficult for me. So the first year, I did very poorly. I did very poorly. Because what happened, you know, my father used to talk to me about that when he was a small child in the beginning of the 19th century, 1920, 25, whatever. There were no radio, there were no TV. Then they have nothing for entertainment. So what happened, once a year or twice a year, the priest had in the small square there, or some musician that they play a segment of the opera or some more concerto, some popular music, something like that. And so my father used to talk to me. But no tango. 
no, 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 So about the what? Sorry, violin. Violin. Oh, the violin. Yes. Violin. So what happened was that the, there was an orchestra in the in this college in Jovenado. It was called Jovenado for the youth. And you have a their instructor, and you had to apply to play an instrument. They teach you. And I, you know, uh, the violin. I want to play violin. So I applied and I was rejected because my grade was terrible. So that hurt my my feeling. Yeah. It hurt my feeling, and uh, but the following year, my grade got better, and I got into the this orchestra to play instrument to study whenever I and that that's why I became. Uh, I like music very much. And I'm toward the classic, the opera, concerti, and this and that. And uh, so, this is something that I'm, 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 it's not like two courses or whatever. I'm self, like stealing knowledge, you know, because at that time I didn't have a record, I didn't have books, I didn't have nothing. So, whatever, I had the opportunity to, to, to learn something, whatever, okay? And so, and, um, And so that's why I started the curiosity about everything. And how many people were in this school? Uh, maybe less than 100. Less than 100. But, but this is a boarding school. Like I say, I slept in, the, in, the, in this place. And it was a tremendous discipline. Yeah. It was, uh, they were, we were punished. And sometimes corporal punishment too. Now, do you feel this this extreme discipline had a positive effect on you, or do you think it was more negative? Um... I think it was a combination of things. First of all, when I went there, I'm, I'm not say I was wild. You know, I was 11 years old. I was active, jumping here, running here, doing, you know, the thing that they, the normal, when... I was there for seven years. When I left the place, I was very shy, very timid, introverted, and a, and the teaching really was not the best teaching because you memorize, you memorize a lot of things. And re there was no reasoning. Just to give an idea, if you allow me, okay, around this and that. I, I was, when I left this, uh, this uh, Jovenado and I went to the public school because I had to take some courses because the school, the grade in this place were not recognized by the state. So what happened and what I had to do, I had to take two exams and this was already within very short time old start in the scholastic year, I had to repeat the third grade. They made me repeat. So what happened was that then 
Definitely. I was very, very uncomfortable in front of people. Mm-hmm. And so, and I remember when I was a teenager, I started to, we, we had a library, just to give you an idea. The library and the priest, they give you permission to go to the library. Now the books, of course, they were selected books, life of the saint, whatever, okay? And those books, they were, the pages were missing because they selected a lot of, with the ink, with the rays, carbon up, whatever it is. So, you know, they, they want, it's like in the Middle Age. It was, there is no such a pure life or whatever it is. And the, the idea, we were kids and the ceremony about the devil and this and that, so we were scared to death. And this is it. You have to realize this is a big place, tall, war, ceiling, dark corridor, you know, typical uh, middle-aged thing. When you're a young kid, a young child, uh, and you're a teenager, yes, at night you don't want to get up and go to the bathroom or whatever, sometimes you pee in the bed. Yeah. <laughs> so to give you an idea of the psychological effect, it was for me, everything was was something that I had to go one step at a time. Really, when I really learned, I studied very hard. A lot of time, wasting time because you, you read and read and read and read. But there was no, there was to, today with the understanding I have today after I came to America and I had to pass exams. Because when I came to America, I graduated in 1968. And mm-hmm. then from there, I went to Italy. I was supposed to uh, specialize there, but I had to wait until September for example. So while I was in the beach there, I met some friend of my family here in the United States. And they just said, what are you doing here? You should come to the United States. Of course, I wrote to my family, and uh, I came to the United States. But... What happened was, I didn't speak English. I and my degree was not recognized in the United States. Medical now, school. yeah. Just but before before getting to the United States, yeah. What kind of broke you free from? I assume this indoctrinated type of education that you experienced, right? As you mentioned. The some of the pages were ripped out, yeah, some yeah. of the information was blacked out. So I assume in a Catholic um, yeah. school like that, yeah. Yeah. that some of the information that might have been ripped out relates to biology and sure. maybe nice. some evolution. Yeah. But now you're a doctor. So what eventually helps you to break free from that indoctrinated mindset and gave you this interest in medicine and then to become a doctor? Well, I don't the fact that I became a doctor, I don't think it was related to that, but just going to the point, I just want to touch a point. I got in trouble because I guess as a teenager, I start to ask questions. And I guess one of the questions, whatever, I don't remember exactly now, there's so many years. I was a report to the superior. And I went in front of the superior, so he really gave it to me. He really verbally, he put me down 
And he said, if you continue this trend, you're going to be expelled from this institution. And if you're expelled, what are you going to do in your life in the future? Because you are no, intel you are no intelligent. I was told I was no intelligent. Of course, at that time, you get so much abuse that everything becomes routine. And it wasn't just uh, verbal abuse. Was it also physical abuse yeah, back then? Yeah, they shook yeah. you, know, you up or, or they yeah. punish you up. They say you cannot have... The, the meal was a very simple meal. And sometimes they say, well, you cannot have dessert for three days or whatever for a punishment or whatever, you know, the corporate punishment, you know. So, so this is, this is the, the environment in which you grew up. So he told me, I was no intelligence, so they didn't bother me at that time because, you know, another, another fall, falling down. But eventually, as I grew up, you know, I don't want the benches or whatever, but I wish he could have seen what I have accomplished against all, instead of encouraging me and to give me good advice, I say, somebody guide you for a better life or whatever to achieve a goal. He put mm -hmm. me down, and those are the instructors that I have. Uh, so, who? It sounds like your father played a big role in your life as a role model. Was there anyone else that influenced you to study medicine, or well, the the fact that I studied medicine was that the, when I finished in Nacional, in a, it's a, like a, some sort of, I don't know how to compare with a with college in the United States, uh, bachillerato school. Oh yeah, bachillerato. In, well, in Spain, the bachillerato is like the last years of high school. Yes. Um, yes. Yeah. Before you go to university. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we don't. I guess we don't have that in Canada or in the states. Like bachillerato exists here in Spain, yeah. Um, but yeah, it's the last few years just before going to university. That's yeah, that's it. Now we understand each other. So what happened was that my friends, with whom I went to uh, bachillerato school, I was the son of the immigrant. They had the baton of the, you're in the basement. They had the baton. My friends, they were the parents were lawyer. Stands here of people that have a farm, thousand acre land with goat, sheep, cows, you know, uh, doctors, whatever. So, anyhow, so my father remember when I finished, said, Well, so what are you going to do now? I said, Well, my friends are going to the university and I would like to try. I don't know. So, my father said, Well, listen, you know what? Well, your mom, we are going to sacrifice the best we can as long as you, you are willing to succeed, to to accomplish something. We are going to help you the best we can. And I remember my father, they were building the house one brick at a time. After part time when he was coming back at night from the ceramic where he worked. And so my father have built two two rooms in which we were living. It was all finished. So what happened was that my father said, well, you know what, son? 
you go to university. And if you have one year or two years, and after that you quit, whatever, because we cannot support you or whatever, okay? At least you can say, you know what? I went to the university and I had two years of medicine, uh, uh, one year of medicine. People, that's what's the mentality. That's what the mentality. It's not let's say, no, you go, I'm going to go there and go to climb so then, top of the mountain. Yeah, so that, oh, good thing you had such um, supportive parents. That's, uh, that's good. That's, you see, we have, that's the important thing. This is what I'm saying. Because here in the United States, you know, family is the more important thing. My parents couldn't give me materialistic, they couldn't give me nothing. But they gave me the support. And they opened my eyes because I saw how they had to struggle. So did they did they go to America with you or did you go alone? No, no, I, I went alone. I went to Italy yeah. and from Italy flew to the United States. And, ah, okay. And here I have my cousin and aunt and uncle with whom I was staying there until you know I had you had to. What happened was first of all I had to take an English lesson. I had to go to New York University, and of course nothing is free here. I had to borrow money for my uncle and family, and eventually pay, of course, after years. And then um, I had to take those courses. Yeah. So, and now, yeah. Oh, sorry, it's just um, thinking about the languages. Was it easier for you to learn Spanish or English? Well, I, I see, in Spanish, well, I was eight years old when I went there. So you okay. More naturally, kicking the ball in the street, going. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah. I was 28 years old when I came to this country in the United States. Okay. And you know what happened? Like I said before, my degree was not recognized here. In order to be practicing medicine in the United States at that time, I don't know today, you had to take a special exam. It's called uh, Foreign Medical. For educational counsel for a medical graduate. This is an exam that was given all over the world, American Embassy, for the foreign graduate and the American graduate outside the United States. And of course, at that time, they were taking like 30,000 people were taking the exam, and they were, they were open, it was maybe 3,000, something like that. And the, the when I came to the United States, find out about the exam, there were multiple choices. This type of exam, I never saw this exam in my life. So imagine 28 years old to to reasoning in very short time, you have to reason and have an answer to make it, uh, to tell you the truth. When I went to take the first exam in New York, it was a big ballroom, maybe a thousand laughter or whatever. And I, I, I ended up having such a headache, such that I used to get up, go drink some water, walk a little bit, come back. And so suddenly the proctor say, you got half an hour to finish. And of course I was unfamiliar with the situation. I start to, I panic. <laughs> And I start to answer B, B, C, C, D, D, 
So, of course, end up in a disaster. You know? And so you didn't pass the first time? No, I No, this is a, yeah, this is a big exam. This is, I wasn't even exposed yeah. to that. So anyhow, eventually, <clears throat> excuse me, I made experience, I learned, I started to talk to some people, whatever, okay? So finally, eventually pass. Now, when I passed this exam, I cannot practice. I had to apply to a special hospital where you special you end up with your you five-year-old training in surgery, internship, and residence program. So you live almost, you're in corner every other night, you're, you work, you're working very, very hard, very, but you know, that's had been my life. Yeah. Ah, life of an immigrant. Now, for the acculturation experiences, what I find interesting is that in Argentina, there's a very big Italian community yeah. as well, especially yeah. when you had to go, right? Yeah. And the yeah. same in the United States. There's also yeah. a large Italian community of immigrants. Yeah. So for you, in, in both cases, uh, did you find that you, um, that you, your family or you yourself was uh, found many Italians to find support? And did you find yourself within an Italian community at all? Well, in Argentina, where my parents went, there was a, they built this factory. There were maybe like a 60, around 60 Italian families in which uh, they were carpenter, bricklayer, and so And they were almost living in the, in the community. But the difference was, there was because of the war, the ignorance. Me and somebody else went to school, or the other went to work, and they became one was an extension of the poverty that they have in Italy, poverty economically, and poverty intellectually. Mm -hmm. So when you had that that type of poverty, that create animosity, jealousy, envy. In be and the, because the possibility they were limited there. No possibility. So they just get, the only thing they have food, more food, more meat, but it was an extension of what they have, the life they have in Italy at that time. United States was different because United States, you come, you, when I came to this country, I saw the opportunity that I remember. I was staying with my uncle now, close to the, you know, a few blocks away, there was a big hospital, big center there. And I used to go to the library there to, to study. I used to, and in the way back, particular day, in the sidewalk, there were bicycles, there were tricycles, there were the, the garbage put outside from the, to be picked up, the refrigerator, I was not used to that because over there in Argentina, I never saw such a thing. You don't throw away anything. Just to give yeah. it, just to go back a little bit, to go back. In Argentina, what happened was, in La Plata, I used to get up, wake up 
not all the time, but when I had to take the exam preparation around four o'clock in the morning, and it was so cold because it's humid over there. So what happened was I used to have a pajama, I used to have my pants, I did a sweater, and I used to bundle up with the with the blanket, you know, and and you shaking or whatever. Okay, that's it. So one day we were walking back for the university for the faculty, faculty, and then we saw this um, throw thrown away this um, dwarf, a heater, a heater to to cook. It was a simple thing with with the kerosene. They were. So the, it was all rusty, whatever. So we picked up that, and we took it to our place, and we went to the harvest store. We bought seven or feet of, of plastic, a plastic tube, and we connect from the kitchen, the gas, to this place, this thing here, and we warm up the house, the room. Of course, looking back now, we could have with carbon monoxide or whatever. Yeah. We're, I was just we're unresponsible. We're, but we were not aware. You live the moment. You live the moment. And so risks were there all the time. They literally so anyhow. Yeah. So all all of this, all is it all of this adversity, um I've read about your book of course your book comes out in Mar uh, march 14th so i haven't read the book yet just uh, what it's going to be about and i know you write a lot about this adversity and how to overcome this through having a goal um through having love in your life and a lot of this makes me think of um victor frankl's man's pursuit of meaning mm -hmm. as well are you familiar with no. uh Okay, so well, I'll just I'll quickly go over it because I'm just curious about your insights and any anything to add to this because uh, Victor Frankl, uh, he writes Man's Search of uh, Search for Meaning, and he describes his experiences as a prisoner in uh, Nazi concentration camps. Oh, I'm not and... Are you talking about Nazi? I'm no, 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 Vi Victor Frankl. Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. No. And I'm not familiar. Okay, and he he comes up with uh, like lo logotherapy, and what it kind of comes down to is that humans need to identify their purpose in life, and if you have that purpose, then you're able to withstand some of these horrors and and try to get through this extreme um, adversity. So I was wondering if you see any connections there with your work or um, with your with your life stories. Yeah, I think so. I think so because there had to be a purpose. Okay, to me, the purpose was to climb the mountain. To me, to reach the top of the mountain, that was my goal. Because I'm in the valley. The valley is dark because the sun is behind the mountain. So I have all the shade. And so, so what happened, you had to settle a goal. Do you want to be somebody? Of course, I want to be somebody, but do you see what happened? I had the view that w when I came to the United States, I saw that the possibilities were immense and there was more possibility for me to succeed. When I was in Argentina, I saw my parents, were, 
it's like you go one step forward, one step backward. My parents mm. were in Argentina for 30 years. They worked very hard. Whatever they have accomplished economically, the revolution came. There were plenty of revolution there. The inflation came. They lost everything overnight. See? So that's the system in which I grew up. So you had to have a goal. And you had to work for the goal. Of course, everybody had different experience. And that goal can be modified or whatever. But for me, my life had been, I had to climb the Himalaya. How many people get in line, try to climb in the mountain, the Himalaya? But how many people come reach the top and put the flag and say, I conquered, I, you know, not too many people. Now, that's the way I saw my life. But of course, at that time, I start to see, for me, life was like being in a tunnel, dark tunnel. And there was at the end of the tunnel, there was a dim light over there, small light. Now, what advice do you have for people to hold on to that light or hold on to that goal in the face of this darkness or in well, the face of this adversity? Well, first of all, you have, you have to have motivation inside, a desire. You have to be hungry. And do you believe that people can be born with motivation, or is this something that people learn through the circumstances in their lives? Like, do you think certain people are born more resilient, or do you think that anyone has the opportunity to be resilient to failures? And well, adversity? I will imagine that maybe there is in the DNA that is a particular spot there or whatever. Okay, by general, common sense is telling me we are born naked. And you wrap yourself around with the surrounding. So that's why it's very important to have parents, to have a family, to have a parents. Because, listen, look at the, in the jungle, in the forest, the, the deer, whatever, have the baby there. And the baby is unprotected. What is the chance for that, baby, that deer to succeed? So, you have to have your parents because the parents can give you love, can give you maybe a roof, and can, in the moment of depression, in the moment you are down, they can hug you, they can hold your hand. I remember my mother used to tell me so many times, I was narrow, many times, I was ready to quit more than once because, you know, I had to climb that mountain, but I didn't have shoes, I didn't have gloves. I had to barefooted, and you know, you bleed. <laughs> you know, that was a hero. You know, I was, I want to go beyond what was imaginable to achieve. And what about for those who don't have family to fall back on? Because you, you didn't at some points in your life as well, right? Because when you, as you said, in the boarding school, you experienced this type of loneliness. So in that case, what did you fall back on to keep going? Well, I had to, they were, I didn't have a choice. I just, okay. <laughs> I had to, yeah. uh, you know, I had to keep going. But the advice yeah. I have today is different because first of all, in the, this area of the internet, look at, look at what we're doing here. I'm talking to you. 
you see me, I see you, and and we are changing instantaneously. We are changing opinion. So today the the environment is different. You see, when I was in Argentina, I had to study without books. I didn't have to. I, I couldn't. My parents couldn't buy books. So what happened was, my friends they were wealthy. On Friday afternoon, they used to go to Buenos Aires for La Plata to Buenos Aires, have a good time, and come back on Monday early in the morning, whatever. That was the time when I I got their books and I I studied with their books, make notes and this and that. So this the motivation, the desire, everybody have a good time. I could afford to have a good time, but I already have the money. Maybe if I had had the money and my parents could provide for me everything, maybe I, I would have not accomplished anything because uh, you know what happened? You say, well, you know, I have everything, well, you had to go the extra mile. So the, the important now that we were talking about the guy, you have the internet, you have the teacher today, you have the coaches, for the divinity, you have the priest, the rabbi, or the uh, minister, or whatever, or you have a friend, dear friend, or whatever. So life today, the communication is much easier, much is better. Mm-hmm. And I know there's something else that you write about in your book. You talk about the importance of relationships and helping others, yes. right? That a big thing to stay motivated is knowing that you're doing something for other people in yes. this world. Yes. Because so, yeah. Oh, yeah, no, continue. Sorry. Yeah. So, first of all, being a doctor, I had been an army surgeon. I was a surgeon. I did general surgeon, a trauma, and a vascular bypass. And the last 15 years of my life, I did advanced laparoscopy. It's a new thing that there was no training before. I had to take special courses in which through small holes in the belly, and with the camera and the video, you do uh, the sophisticated surgeon. And I was very good at that. But in order to do all, the, to do all that, you have to have motivation, the desire. I I finished my training. I could have said, oh, I'm clumsy over this. No, I want all the time to go beyond. The same thing when I graduated in Argentina, and I'm going to tell you an honest opinion. Okay? My friend, at that time, you were a professional, you were a doctor, whatever. So what did they do? They married well. They married to the daughter of the Stanciero. I have many. And so, and they, maybe they were so well off that they had, they had to practice medicine. They didn't specialize, whatever. But no, for me, it was all the time the opposite. I want to be something. And and I felt very proud because my parents, <coughs> excuse me, live to see me, <coughs> excuse me, live to see me, I came to university several times <clears throat> during their life, and they saw me to be chief of surgeon in two hospitals. Wonderful. And this is the, it's only a few miles from for New York and New Jersey, only a few miles. And uh, so, you know, it, it, the thing is that they couldn't give me anything, but I, they gave me the desire to succeed 
to be and go beyond what they have accomplished. And that's my desire to everybody, because the reason when I wrote this book, we used to go when we were young with my wife, we used to go to different parties, buy the here. And all the time you met different people, politicians, lawyers, whatever, teachers, whatever, <laughs> common people, whatever. And they used to, we start to talk and they say, Dr. Forcina, when you come to Italy, oh, Italy, you know, with my husband, we go to Italy, uh, we went to Italy several times, we like the food, we went to this, we went to that. And so, and I, I like history, whatever, so I have read a lot, I travel a lot. I, when my parents were alive, for many years, I used to go with my family every year, and many times I used to go alone. Visit my parents and eventually travel all over, all over, all over Italy, because I like the history, I like the music, I like the I like the art museum. And so what happened? I start to talk, and they, and when the conversation came about, well, you're Italy. How come you went to Argentina? All this that I mentioned before used to come out, and some people did in which. The parents or grandparents also, some of them, they were Russian Jew. I have one friend of mine, they were Tony, there's a chapter about him. This guy, engineer for MIT, he got, when he was alive, 250 patents. So, and he and ancestor were Russian Jew from Siberia. Also, they came in 1800, and they had to struggle the same thing. Nothing, but the, this country gives the opportunity. They put the lie there. The, the, you see the lie at the far, far away, and you can walk, go, try to reach that direction. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. And there, there's some stats on that, too, in America, where most of the, the big companies and a lot of these successful people yeah. are immigrants. Yes. Right? And as, the, as, as a matter of fact, those are the guys that work harder. They were hard because the Indian, the Korean, whatever, because what happened, they, they had the opportunity in their country. They came here as an open field. So that's why, going back to the, when I was saying the motivation, why I wrote this book. You know, many times they told me when I was telling you, what well, interesting, you should write down this and that. And I never pay attention because, you know, I was busy with my practice. I didn't have time, but whatever, okay. And then, and I said, who, who has time for to write book and this and that? So anyhow, when I retire, retire to Florida, and I have more time, and my granddaughter was born, later, now she said, it's going to be eight years old in April, in May, May. So what happened was to think about, and I start to write down things, write down things. Eventually, I sent a copy to my daughter and said, Ali, that's beautiful. You should write. And, and keep writing, keep writing. It took me, you know, different thoughts, different things. It took me years. This book came about. And the reason why I wrote this book and I dedicate this book to my granddaughter, Leno, because, you know, I'm, I'm a certain age. I don't know how long we're going to be around. But I, of course, I want the best for them. And I know when she's going to be a teenager, the difficult year, 
maybe more than one situation she had to make difficult choices. Perhaps, perhaps, this book, one night, when she's down or whatever, she picked up this book and she started to read and started to think, oh, my grandparents, look at this. He have a against all the ads. Now, you, you talk a lot about the, the accomplishments and um, you talk very fondly about America and the opportunities yes. that you had in America yes. as an immigrant, right? So you really have this story of the, the American dream as an immigrant. Yes. Yes. But nowadays, do you feel that immigrants uh, in America still have more opportunities in America than, let's say, some other places around the world? Or do you think it's becoming more difficult to achieve these opportunities. The opportunities are there. As a matter of fact, if you look at the border, there are millions of people, they are going through the desert, pay the coyote, Mm -hmm. come to this field. I don't see many people, well, in Europe, you have the situation of Africa going through the Mediterranean, the people are desperate. But, you know, That's what I was going to ask as well. When we look at Europe um, and then America, um, I wonder if immigrants in Europe have more opportunities in America or if uh, more opportunities in America or if Europe makes it easier. Because what I also think about, and I was going to ask you what you think about the American healthcare system, because you've worked the healthcare system for so long. Um, What are your opinions? Well, you know, the... European system is socialized medicine. Mm-hmm. And they have limitation. They have limited. I have seen, I have a chapter about my mother when she was in the hospital. Yeah. And, I mean, what I saw there. First of all, this country, medicine of this is changing here too. When I was in practice, it was a private practice. I was a private. If I didn't do surgery, I work in the, the, I didn't get the salary from the hospital. I had an office, private office, secretary. People came to my office and if they need surgery or they were referred to me by other doctors that knew me. So I scheduled the surgery in the hospital. But the hospital doesn't pay me a penny. So that was the system. So anyway, you had to, there was an incentive. You had to work hard. You had to, that's why I took special courses all the time. There's a lot of money. You had to travel to different places, laparoscopy. So now, I see now, here also are things are changing. First of all, what I see here in America is the big corporations are taking over. They control. And of course, you, you cannot compete with them because they had the money, they had the connection. So what they do is this big corporation to your town and put the surgery center, five, six surgery center. They own three or four hospitals. And so you are independent. You are independent. Nobody knows you. You cannot compete with them. So what happened? So that's why... The new resident, when they finish the training, nobody knows you, so they go 
and we have a contract with this corporation in which they pay for three years, two years, or whatever. You have to produce, and they pay a salary. Mm-hmm. At the end of three years, if you didn't produce or whatever, then also you're in, in, in the street again. And But the thing are changing also in this country. What is the best system? Well, I think I was, because when I was in practice, you had to cover the emergency room. Cover emergency room. And when there was a, somebody with appendicitis or gallbladder, whatever, they, they required surgical care, you weren't called. You had to go to the hospital. Now, you go to the hospital, most of those people in general didn't have insurance, so you had to do the salary for free. If so, so uh, would you do the uh, surgery for free then in many cases? Do do- doctors, have, surgeons have that option in the United States to give the surgery for free? Yes, when you're covering the emergency room, there is no insurance. What are you going to do? You have your mandate. You can get in trouble if you refuse. You know? Okay, because I've heard so many horror stories as well, right, where people, they don't get covered um, or then later they are expected to pay. And then they're in debt for the rest of their lives, well, right? Or sure, yeah, okay. you know, like it's just even medicine-wise, like it's like Nexium, the the heartburn medication in the United States, it's two hundred and fifteen dollars, whereas in Spain it's fifty-eight, and the yeah, Netherlands yeah. it's like twenty-three. Yeah, sure, they, of course there are there is no a perfect system. I'm sure there are there are cases like that, but oh, you can have if you're poverty streaky or whatever. Okay, they are not going to be able to collect anything because you don't have anything yeah it does seem like many people end up in debt because of it though or end up um like there are also stats that uh there are lower hospital or lower doctor visits in the united states than in many other first world countries right because the healthcare is so expensive or because it's so hard with the insurance companies there yeah, but by law, by law in the United States, I'm not a politician, and by law in the United States, yeah. <laughs> if you go to the emergency room, they cannot then deny you a service. Okay. They cannot deny it. Now, the doctor doesn't get paid, but the hospital get paid because the government allow certain amounts. Let's say that. Beside that, the hospital, the bill from the hospital, in some way, you can say, well, you have better insurance. If something that costs $5,000, maybe they're going to charge you $10,000, $15,000. In some way, mm-hmm. that compensate. Uh, I'm not saying it's right, wrong, whatever. I'm not, but I'm telling you what I have seen. But you see, but the beauty about this is, let's see, the, the facility. Whatever you go to any hospital here, you have cascan, you have equipment, you have technician, you got so that's why the medicine is so advanced. In a lot of places, I have all, all horror stories that the 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 did you have this lady pregnant, ready to deliver, they go to an hospital, I say, No, we are close here, you have to go to bread and you have to go hundreds of miles away, whatever and you know I hear horror stories in Europe about that too. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've heard some horror stories here as well. Yeah, but in general, I must say that 
the stories I've heard from countries like in Belgium, especially in Netherlands, I definitely hear less horror stories there than in America. <laughs> some recently, the northern country, they are more organized, I guess. Yes. Yeah. The Mediterranean country, you know. Yeah, yeah, I've, I'm experiencing that here in Spain. <laughs> there, does, there does seem to be a lack of organization. Like Unless there's a party. Uh, the parties here, I think, are very well organized. Ah, yeah, well. Well, the politician, yeah, sure. The union, whatever. Oh, no, not, not, the, not the political parties, the, the fiestas. <laughs> ah, yeah. Oh, yeah, sure, sangria. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> guitars, this and that, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, yeah. I, listen. This is the world. Life and I, everybody, they act and, uh, and blast whatever things better, I guess. I don't know. I did my part. And, uh, we, you know, the only thing is that, the, first of all, you, you don't know. You have a goal. You know, you're going to achieve that. I got I have many friends of mine. I have many friends, and this is sad. They're doctors. They came from the South America for different countries, and they have certain age. They have children. They have wife, and they had to work to support the family. Mm -hmm. And at the same time, they had to prepare with those rules. And you know, those exams are very difficult. Very difficult because you see what happened. First of all, when you come here, the exam is in base of what you have studied all your life. For instance, the beginning of your career, you have anatomy, physiology, histology, biology, histology, you, you name it. And this is during the seven years you're doing that. Now, it's like an athlete. When you pre prepare yourself for a competition, you reach a peak. You reach the right time when you can race around the 5,000 miles. But that doesn't mean that you can ride around the 5,000 miles any time. Mm -hmm. So this is the exam, what it was about. The, the American people study here, take this course, and rather we take the exam, it's a fresh thing, but after five, six years, your situation is that you had to psychology, all the all different courses you had done many times in a different language. For instance, I studied with the Spanish book and the uh, French translation in Spanish. And every so English book. If I had known that, it's a different way of thinking, different uh, interpretation, different reasoning. Over there, I used to read and read and read and read. Here is more, less, but A, B, C, you get there, you know? I get that. All right. Well, we're coming up on an hour here. So anything else you'd like to share? Um, I really love the message in here because it's something that I'm trying to spread with Without Borders is the importance of immigrants as well. Because I think uh, sometimes in our world, there's a lot of 
hatred towards immigration. There's a lot of um, adversity. And as you've shown yourself and through your story is sometimes by being an immigrant, it builds character. And those same immigrants do a lot to help people in that country. And I think we need to welcome immigrants because they can do a lot to help um, the economy and, of course, just to help people from that country because we're not just from one nation, right? We're all world citizens, or we all should yeah. be. I think uh, I didn't know that your point is well taken. You see, immigrant, you have to realize the immigrant leave his own land with their roots, with his family, the language, the custom, everything. He's not in general. It's not that he just go to another place to have a good time. He you know, look at what happened in the Mediterranean. Those people, how many people die? They drown. It's not guarantee you're going to go to Europe and you're going to succeed. The same thing here in the border with Mexico. You know, they had to go to the desert and this and that. You know, so, but what happened, they had the desire to succeed in spite of that, to, to give a better future for the, for the kids, for their life, for the family. So the immigrant should, in my opinion, the immigrant should be, you have to see the short time, maybe the short time this immigrant is going to take resources from the taxpayer. Because he doesn't have it. So somebody had to provide food, somebody can go the government had to provide for the house, everything. But eventually, as the time passed by, he got a job and he had to make money. Maybe he's going to buy an old house. I have patience. Spanish painting. And then we used to talk about it. I used to talk about it. Besides that, as a human being, I felt being an immigrant, I, I went out of my way to establish a relationship with his families. And if some of them would say, Doctor, you know what? We, we are planning that is this house, two-store house, is not in the best condition, but we are hunting downstairs. We are going to plan it to buy, and we're going to fix this, and rent upstairs, fix the basement, you know? And, and that's the way you start. When you built, in the old country used to say, you build a house one brick at a time. Nothing happened overnight. It's called the Tesak. So eventually, there are those kids. Young kids came in from the other side of the, the other country, or they're born here. They're going to go to school, and they're going to have different ideas. They're going to see their parents, and they want to be better, and they start business, like you were saying before. How many people they have a multi-billionaire started the, the kids, teenagers, work in the garage? You know, you've got to do something like that. Exactly. Sal, thank you so much for coming on the show and sharing your messages with us. I think this is very important in this time. 
And again, listeners, the book comes out on March 14th. There will be a link in the description. You can pre-order it. And of course, anyone else listening uh, right now who wants to share their immigration story, I think it's very important because we have to break some of the misconceptions that people have about immigrants because it's um, in, in the, the times that we're living in, it's important to understand how important it is to accept immigrants and, of course, the, the beautiful stories that come out of it. So, Sal, thanks again for coming on the show, and I'm, I'm looking forward to reading your work. If you may, uh, I want to encourage people to follow me on Instagram. That's a okay. story for China MD. And the book is American, the American Doctor, and it can be pre-ordered on Amazon. And like you say, it's coming printed the 14th, coming out. 14 Perfect. All right, I'll put a link of the Instagram account as well then. All right, this was Without Borders, Stories by the Inescapably Foreign. Tune in next time. Thank you very much. <laughs>